podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You're listening to Uncovered with Barat Sundarason and Jared Kimber on the 99.94 Network. Hey, Barat, how are you, mate? I'm doing very well, Jared. Yeah, that, that now sounded very good to me. This, this yep. looks very good to me. And I can't believe we waited uh, so long to uh, make our relationship public and have our own little podcast. <laughs> yes. Uh, for those who don't know, we are adding an extra day of Red Inca uh, called Uncovered, where me and Barat will talk whatever we want to, really. Um, for those who don't know who Barat is, I'm, I'm going to go through all this. If, when I miss something, you just let me know. Uh, <laughs> Indian Express for a long time, and you wrote the book, The Donny Way. You're the Patrick Patterson guy, that or whisperer, perhaps. Um, you quite often a random smiley face on Australian TV. Uh, you do a bit of commentary. You're a big metal and wrestling fan, and you're currently with Crick Boss. Have I missed out anything there? Uh, you didn't speak about my hair, but that is all right. Uh, it gets spoken of uh, way too much, I think, at some level. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, um, and what I have another book coming up early next year. Oh, so course, early yeah. plug for that. Early plug for that. It's called the. Miracle Makers, it's pretty much about uh, India's tour of Australia, the famous one, 2020-2021. Apart from that, uh, yeah, I think I'm a happy person as well. I like to be uh, referred to as a very happy person. Not on this podcast. But uh, one other (laughs) thing I want to mention is this, for for the seven people who don't know Barra, here's here's a story that explains him as well as anyone. Recently, I tried to get in touch with him so we could um, hook up and plan this podcast and some other podcasts we're working on. And he said, I can't, I can't uh, talk to you at that time because I've got to pick up my friend's mum from the airport <laughs> and then I'm driving her back home and then I'm lending her my car. And then you added, and this is the best bit, you hadn't actually met your friend's mum before. <laughs> so you were just lending this random woman your car after picking her up from the airport. That's the most Bharat story I think I'm aware of. Just to add on that, uh, she also ended up spending uh, three days with us uh, at home. And we took her all around South Australia. She left last evening. So, you know, we extended uh, our generosity, our hospitality, because that's what you do. That's what you're supposed to do. She's a lovely woman as well. Yeah, I'm sure she was. You know, we talked about all the different things you've worked on, but you're also a podcast guy. That's why we've got you involved with 99.94. We've got a big podcast that we'll probably announce next week or the week after that you're working on with, with someone else. Um, but you do, you listen to a lot of wrestling podcasts and uh, MMA or heavy metal or just wrestling? Mostly wrestling, uh, pro wrestling. I'm a big fan of the business of the business. Uh, and there's some wonderful former wrestlers, former promoters, bookers, as they were called, uh, running podcasts. And it, it's just fascinating. And I think what fascinates me about pro wrestling is not so much the in-ring stuff, which I guess, you know, what attracted me originally, but it's the storytelling aspect of it. And I think at the base of it, you and I are storytellers, right? Whether we do it in print or we do it in podcasts or on radio or on TV, we're just telling stories all the time. And that's something I've done all my life from the time I was very young. And I used to come back from uh, preschool and tell my mother about the kids in school and what they were up to uh, while mimicking all of them. So I've always done that. And I think pro wrestling is just made for someone like me. So I listen to a lot of that. Uh, heavy metal, yeah, I used to, like, not very well, but I used to play the drums many, many years ago. Uh, I, we had a metal band in, in, in Bombay, which didn't do 
too well. It was called Warhead, of course. I still do some vocals as well. So I, I do, yeah, anything metal, I'm, I'm always on board uh, and thrash metal mainly. Uh, but like most metal heads, I have uh, graduated to listening to classical music and jazz music because if if you aren't a metal fan, as you know, it, it can come across as being loud and just a lot of noise, but it is just an extension of classical music. Yeah, I remember, you know, trying to explain to many girlfriends about that with uh, Cradle of Filth. <laughs> Never quite worked, but... Nah, nah. Let's, uh, so, so we're going to chat about a couple of things that we've both been looking at or working on recently. Uh, I'm going to start with the one day international thing that I noticed. So I was watching, I think it was Australia were being rolled by New mm. Zealand or Australia were rolling New Zealand and the Zimbabwe game. Someone tweeted me to say, um, have they changed the ball? Because suddenly everyone's taking lots of wickets. And my first thing is like, when I get a message like that, I'm always like, mate, you've just seen a couple of wickets on the TV. It doesn't mean anything, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's what, if you look at that, the original tweet response, I think that's literally almost what I said. And then I was like, I'll look it up for this person. And suddenly I was like, holy shit, there's been a huge change uh, since basically late 2020. And we could trace that back to we're pretty sure, although not 100% sure, that's when Kookaburra changed the ball. Um, and so in ODI cricket, we're about 38 runs a game down on what we would normally be. Uh, and it's the really the power plays that have changed, Barra. So beforehand, it, uh, everyone was fashioning the ball around the power play. It was business as usual. And then uh, they, when they got these new balls in, obviously they're seeing me around a little bit more. I talked to, I can't remember, for, when was the Women's World Cup in New Zealand? Was that last year? That was last year, yeah. Yeah, because I, I can't remember which team I was talking to, but I was talking to one of the teams and that their plan to Meg Lanning was a wobble ball, right? And it didn't actually make any sense. And now I was thinking about it going, oh, because people weren't bowling the wobble ball in white ball cricket before yeah. then because the seam was made of Play-Doh. There was no point bowling the wobble ball, right? You just tried yeah. and swing it early on. Now exactly. teams are trying to do that. So uh, essentially what I managed to trace it back to is the fact that when Dukes got that contract in the Sheffield Shield, so what was that, around 2016, 2017? Yeah, 2017, I think, yeah. Yeah, so around that time, that's when Kookaburra suddenly went, oh, we might lose all of our business. And they went about redoing their balls and they spent about two, three, four years testing them. And what they did was they reinforced the seam so that the ball would do more, right? So they're, all their research had told them, and this is good because I've never heard anyone in cricket say this before, but from what I can tell, all their research told them that the more attractive games are usually the ones with more wickets, right? And that kookaburra balls, yeah, who would have thought it? And that kookaburra balls weren't particularly producing attractive cricket, right? So what they did, well, I got a ball here. And it is a kookaburra, so they'll be upset. But what they basically did is they reinforced the seam just underneath. Um, mm. and, and then it made it a little bit more prominent as well, which means that when you're bowling your wobble balls, there's more to hit. And also it stays hard for longer, right? Yep. But of course, well, the first time we saw this ball in action, it was actually a pink ball, right? And it was the... It was. It was the Adelaide test that you've probably written about in your book, right? Um, and that was the first time that ball was used. But the whole thing was about fixing the red ball. But here's what's funny about all this, mate, is that 
the white ball is an absolute flaming piece of shit and has been <laughs> since the umpires in, was it the early 80s, used to have paint in their pocket to smear on it to keep it white for longer, right? Like we have, Enshri like, Vassan used to say, it's uh, the reason we use two white balls in one day cricket is racist, it's to stop spinners and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, no, it's because we already had two white balls. The difference was before we used to replace one at 35 overs with one exactly. that would last the next 15 overs, right? Yeah. Um, and so they fixed the red ball and then it looks like they've just copied over that same design to the white ball. The actual white ball is still a piece of shit that falls apart. That's not Kookaburra's fault. That's just because uh, white, the white leather can't be, or you can't dye leather white, right? Yeah. But um, the problem is that they've created this other problem at the top of the game where the balls are now just nipping around everywhere. And so we have this change in international cricket, which is fairly massive, right? Mm -hmm. And I have two issues with it. And I, I want to know I your, your opinions on this. But the first opinion is that it happened because a company basically was worried about being a small company and losing its market, right? Yeah. That shouldn't happen if you make 89% of international balls. And the other part is, even if the ICC knew about this, and I can assure you 100% they did not. <laughs> In fact, <laughs> until they saw my video, they may not have been aware that this happened at all. Um, even if they knew about it, I'm not sure what they could have done about it. They're just a, pers they're just a company that purchased balls. And I know they purchase exactly. a lot, but I'm not sure they would purchase more balls than... England or South Africa or some of these other countries or India, um, anyone who plays a lot of domestic white ball cricket probably buys more white balls than, than ICC. Awesome. They wouldn't make up a huge amount of the money anyway. So even if they knew about it, mate, there's nothing they could have actually done. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And a few points on that. The World Cup in New Zealand, before we are corrected and cancelled, did happen earlier this year. Uh, it's year, just it? that yeah. there's so much cricket that happens uh, no, no, no. around the world. that we've After lost. COVID... After COVID, we're allowed to make those mistakes because time is no longer, um, it, it works in the normal curve. <laughs> that is very, very true. And it almost, uh, it's scary that the world is going back to normal in a way, right? Uh, it's, uh, you don't know what to expect anymore because we've forgotten what life was like before that happened. Uh, and, and yeah, one of the main reasons Cricket Australia did start using or bring in the Dukes ball for the second half of the Sheffield Shield for what three or four seasons was because it was all in preparation for the 2019 Ashes and they stopped it right after the 2019 Ashes so 2020 no, 2019 2020 season uh, it was Kukubura first half and second half uh, and, and like you said the pressure and the one thing about Dukes is uh, Dilip Jajodia, their their owner, doesn't mind giving interviews, right? And also doesn't mind letting journalists into his uh, workshop to tell them not just how their balls are made, uh, the Dukes, but also a lot about like, you know, the Kukubura. And the one thing um, you learn when you go there is how the every Dukes ball, the seam is hand-stitched, uh, whereas with the Kukubura, as you know, it's, it's machine-stitched or it used to be. So, in a way, Kukubara knew what, what they had to do to get their balls up to, up to scratch, in a way. Even though, like you said, uh, they weren't really under that big a threat, except maybe in some pockets here and there. You would hear the, uh, the, some of the Indian spinners complain about the Kukubara briefly when they used the Kukubara ball a lot in, in, in India. Uh, and then they went back to, to a SG, SG balls. So... Uh, yeah, it, it's it's fascinating that uh, 
Jared Kimber had to inform the ICC about the fact that there is a massive change happening in one day cricket. Maybe a good change. Yeah, that's the other thing, isn't it? Exactly. They should be excited about this. I was thinking that a lot of people were going to read my piece and go, great, that's what we want. Now there are more wickets and it's keeping... Because... It was the first time in history that one-day averages had gone ahead of test averages, right? And that's a big deal because for generations, we're, we're used to that being the opposite. And so it was like everyone had worked out white ball uh, batting and no one could work out red ball batting. So, so you're right. I do think, though, I do think that even though you and I know that part of the reason the Dukes was used in Sheffield Shield was to prepare the cricketers for the Ashes, that yeah. pressure is really what gets to Kookaburra because – the kookaburra ball had been maligned for about 15 years at that point. Oh, yeah. Right? Like really, really maligned, talking about softness, talking about not suiting different conditions and all that sort of thing. And nothing had done – they just hadn't done any – any well, anything that we know of. As you said, Dukes will hold a press conference um, if they put an <laughs> apostrophe in their name or if they put a hyphen in for a new company. Kookaburra, absolutely nothing at all. Mm. And I, I, I contacted Kookaburra about four different ways because I was like – surely they just, they've got to get back to me eventually on all this. And they just never did. So there's a huge difference. If you look at the basketball balls, yeah. right? Do you remember they went flat? Dukes, if you go back, Dukes were talking about that, I think even before the test matches started. They were like, this is a bad batch. Sorry, it's going to happen. And then yeah. the minute that test series finished, I think it was Paul Newman was brought in for the Daily Mail to do a tour of, of their factory. And they were like, these are the new ones. This is what we've done. They're going to play great. And it's like, look at those two different summers. In one summer, you literally couldn't hit the ball off the square. Yeah. And then and then the other one, uh, you know, it was we could chase 300 without, you know, yeah, exactly. you know with their trousers down. So I think, yeah. you know, quite clearly there's a difference in those two companies. But it does it does show you that there's a bigger issue here that a, this change has happened and that the, the, the boards don't know the ICC don't know. Um, but also just that even if they did know, no one really is in charge of cricket balls. Right. Yeah, so that's true. I don't know how you fix that. And I'm surprised. I mean, they have like so many committees at the ICC. And when you think about it, the two things that <laughs> sort of matter the most in cricket is the bat and the ball. Um, maybe it's time there is a ball coming, and especially balls. I mean, yeah, you know, with bats, you have certain specifications and certain uh, uh, protocols as to like the width and the length and all of that. But with cricket balls, uh, because you know they have such a big say in how how a cricket match works out, you would think there's a balls committee. And I've I've had like a lot of uh, non-journalist cricket fans just walk up to me and say, why can't there just be a standardized ball? Like, you know, why can't uh, there just be one kind of ball that gets used all around the world uh, where there's a lot of science? Maybe all these companies come together and create this ball. But that's not... But we also have to realize uh, cricket balls, selling cricket balls is a great business because like you said, it's not just at international level or even mm. uh, the BCCI and Cricket Australia who purchased this balls. It's right through the grassroots systems, right? Like, um, and it, you also are in an era where uh, uh, those who can uh, in two T20 cricket, T20 batters who uh, are working on their own game, who spent like you know, who are hiring grounds and hiring coaches and hiring bowlers to face uh, while preparing for the various T20 leagues. They are purchasing balls on a personal front as well. Like so, there is it's a it's a it's a great business. So I don't see any um, standardizing of the ball happening at that level. Uh, just because why why would you? No, I mean if cricket was run properly, the ICC would do what 
baseball done and just buy buy the bat uh, the ball manufacturers. But I've got a good one for you about bats. And I've, somehow I've never managed to write this. But do you remember when they changed the size of the the edges on the bats? So MCC did that, and they did a lot of testing on it. And I think I was the only journalist asking to see the the test results. So finally, someone yeah. sort of comes over and they show me uh, <laughs> the, the the test results. And so I'm looking through it, and and I'm saying to the person for the MCC, "Yeah, your test results aren't saying what you think they're saying. Actually, what they're saying is that the best bat design ever, and what and it doesn't matter how thick the edges are, is the scoop." Because what the scoop oh. did was it it opens up the uh, the um, uh, the the power spot the, the the center the middle whatever you want to call it right of the bat because of the weird design of the scoop. So for those who don't remember, it's the the, the famous bat from the eighties with the big scoop in the back. We we see yeah. them come back into fashion every now and again, but modern batters don't seem to love them as much as anyone else. And I was like, it's not the size of the edges. And also the other thing they worked out was when they cut a bat in the style of a 1905 bat that was two pound eight. And then they cut a modern one with the same modern wood. They actually hit the ball just as far. Sometimes the middles were slightly different because of the old designs of the bats weren't quite as good, but realistically, like it didn't, it didn't matter if you could thin the edges down as much, as much as you wanted. It's because of the way that they treat the wood now. Um, and, 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 and it's the way that they do spread that middle far more than they yeah. used to. Um, again, they were under so much pressure, probably because of what happened in golf. And, you know, there was so much on TV about, you know, remember the, the Barry Richards picture where he's holding up the old bat oh, yeah, and, yeah, and the was, David yeah. Warner bat, that they just changed it. It didn't matter that that you could prove kind of 100% that that wasn't the biggest issue here. And in fact, there was a far bigger issue. We needed to get to this bigger issue. So it doesn't surprise me at all. And then, of course, you've got the pitchers of which we now have the hybrid pitches of which yeah. I still haven't seen a ruling on what a hybrid pitch is and what a hybrid pitch is not. And uh, I put in that article, Matt, you would have seen it, that literally they talked to Gary Stead and they waited to see if any of the women at the Commonwealth Games complained that much. Every yeah. player I've talked to has said, don't know about these hybrid pitches because apparently what happens is if the ball hits the turf, it comes off at one speed. And if it hits yeah. the... Um, the hybrid bit, the the, the thread, yeah, yeah. It comes off at a different speed. That doesn't seem like an idea. I like I don't I, I don't want to be players. You know what this is like. Players moan about everything, right? So yeah, I'm more course. than happy to go. Okay, that's fine. But shouldn't there be a test so that we can see if what their players are saying is correct? And instead, it's like if two teams agree to a hybrid pitch, we can use them. And I do get the idea. They will be great for tournament play. They'll probably be oh, great yeah. for women in associate cricket. But let's just check them beforehand because that's what happened with the pink ball and that's why the pink ball still sucks <laughs> exactly i mean it they, these things do get forced down uh the the players throats and uh, uh yeah like you said they would be resistant to change right it, it could have it could have an impact on their career uh, mm. like you said uh you play one tournament on hybrid pitches whatever it is women's cricket associate cricket or cricket at any level uh and you get worked over by these uh in uh, you know all, all these discrepancies of, of the pitch of the hybrid pitch uh that's that could be it for you so i think they need they do deserve to have a say and most of them are going to start uh, slightly uh unsure of mm. it like cricket doesn't do change cricket finds itself in a position where it has to adapt to change more than most other sports and it doesn't do change too well to start with eventually 
cricketers and everybody around cricket and the sport itself kind of adjust, whether it's to a new format or uh, even new rules. Uh, initially, everything's no, we cannot yeah. change this aspect of it. But then, uh, yeah, uh, you're right, though. I mean, especially with so much cricket happening all around the world uh, and travel not being very cheap either. So like with the Commonwealth Games, uh, it was the Commonwealth Games, of course, you had to stick to one city or one venue. But it, it could be a great model for some of these, uh, uh, like, you know, countries who don't have the the money power of an India or an England to have hybrid pitches and have, like, entire tournaments being played on them. I agree. I think they'll be. I think it could be a great thing for cricket. I just think, a bit like the pink ball, should just test it first, just to see. Or even just come up with a definition of what a hybrid pitch is. That would be better. Coming up after the break, mate, we'll be talking about T20 cricket. Welcome back to Uncovered with Jared Kimber and Barrett Sundarayson. You have a very interesting piece that I think you're working on. You're workshopping. Mm. We're, we're, we're spitballing here about T20 <laughs> cricket in Australia. And essentially, this is what you told me off off air. And you know, I mm. I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to put words in your mouth. But you said that Big Bash is absolutely a terrible um, uh, system, and it's ruining T Twenty. And everyone in Australia doesn't understand the sport. Those were your words, of course. But if you'd like to elaborate, of course, they were my words. <laughs> yeah, you can read them as well because I'm going to put it in those very words. <laughs> no, look, uh, it's I think there is this anonymity to T Twenty cricket in Australia, and what I mean by that is uh, it doesn't mean that the Australia doesn't play enough T20 cricket or there isn't enough T20 cricket that gets played here. But because uh, actually Australia don't play as many T20 internationals as, say, some of these other countries do on home side, whether it's England, India, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Bulgaria. or most other countries. Uh, yeah, Bulgaria, Bul Romania. Bulgaria play a lot. Like, I just saw that today. I'm just throwing it out there. Bulgaria oh, really? <laughs> actually play a lot of games. So continue. And oh, you yeah. I think... Rom Romania is the one who have a lot of records. Like if you go up yes. uh, and look, I, I, yeah, T20I records, there's a lot of Romanian records in there. And the Czechs aren't too bad either. <laughs> but uh, And you think of the, the big names in T20 cricket or world cricket, uh, and you think uh, and try to see how many, how, how many T20 matches they played on Australian soil. Not too many. Whether it's a Kohli or a Warner or a Chris Gale. I mean, Chris Gale's gone now. But uh, whether it's a Puran or any of those guys, uh, including the Australians, right? Well, David Warner's played three BBL games in the last eight or nine years. Uh, he doesn't always feature in T20 internationals when Australia play because he's on a break from test cricket or whatever it is. The schedule is so packed for Australia. Uh, Josh Hazelwood hasn't played. Uh, before he became this T20 bowler of great renown in the last 18 months. He barely played T20 cricket here. Mitchell Stark hasn't played in the BBL for a long time. Uh, and, and a lot of them, especially the fast bowlers, are resting when Australia do play the odd occasional T20I international series in uh, on home soil. So, it's anonymous. I mean, it's there is there are a lot of unknowns for the Australian players themselves. Uh, and then because the big bash in the last six or seven years hasn't been what it used to be in the beginning, where not a lot of uh, big-name players from around the world come and play in it. Uh, and like we just established, even the main Australian team guys don't play in it, except a Maxwell or a Stoinis or a Finch. Um, what do you what to make of those numbers? Like, for example, once the T20 World Cup starts and you are at the SCG and someone says, you know, in, in today's day and age, the stats will pop up. Oh, at the SCG, if you win the toss on so-and-so day, this is what you're supposed to do. But what is the basis of it? Like, you know, what's the context there? Like, can you uh, use the numbers from, say, when uh, 
uh, some very good Australian players have played against some slightly better Australian players and use it in a in a World Cup in an international level level format or uh, in a context of that uh, scale. I don't know because in the IPL or in the PSL or on these other leagues, uh, you have a lot of players who will be playing the World Cup also play in those tournaments. So mm. it adds a little more uh, gravitas to those numbers, if it makes sense. Makes sense. And so I thought there is a, this anonymity to T20 cricket in Australia, which is fascinating considering the fact that Australia is one of the bigger nations or the big three or whatever you want to call them. Uh, and yet we don't know much about that format here, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it's really weird. Like when you told me about this before, I was thinking about it. So I think you might have come up with some of these names I might have added to it. So you've got Ben McDermott, Chris Lynn, Dan Christian, yeah. Josh Philippi, Ben Cutting, Ben Dunk. There's a lot of Bens in that list. Yeah, true. Those are mostly batters, <laughs> obviously, a couple of all-rounders there as well. But um, most of those players, we haven't picked them by accident. We picked them because they haven't quite made it at international mm. level or the IPL or, in some cases, both, right? And yeah. uh, Josh Philippi, I still think, is really good and he, he may pull himself out of that. But yeah. there are a lot of guys. I saw one of the best players over the like Jordan Silk and Matthew Short over the last two years of Big Bash have phenomenal records. John O'Wells yes. is another one. And I, look, I'm a huge fan yeah. of John O'Wells. I made that video about him a couple of years ago. But realistically, you're looking at those players and going, okay, so if I'm recruiting now for the PSL or the CPL yeah. or the IPL or the 100, how many of those players am I really thinking are automatic selections, right? And you had a story about that with Ben McDermott, didn't you? Oh, yeah, very much so. And when Ben McDermott was, what, uh, player of the tournament or definitely the highest run getter during last year's BBL, and it was it, the BBL finished just before the IPL auction, there was this big hype around him and uh, how much he'll go for. It was a big auction as well. Two new teams as well. I got calls from journalists in India and a lot of uh, Australian, our friends in Australia as well, uh, asking about what, uh, whether they should include Ben McDermott as one of the must picks or one uh, one of the Australian players who'll go for a lot of money. And I said, I would be very surprised if he gets picked. And nothing against Ben McDermott. Mm. I actually love watching him bad. And since that uh, the BBL, he had uh, he scored runs in Pakistan. He's done really well in the few opportunities he has got. It's not on him that he hasn't played consistently for Australia. I think eventually he will. But it's just that his numbers, especially batting numbers in the BBL from what I've seen and I've heard from people who you know make these decisions in the IPL does, don't count for much mm. uh, unless you're someone like a Tim David who just brings something extraordinary like you can just see him do what he does and you know it'll work in any condition and, and Tim David in his also to talk him up he also did the same in the PSL and elsewhere uh, when you have a batter like Ben McDermott, uh, who's a proper conventional batter, who uh, has scored a lot of runs, who's got a strike rate, I mean, I'm, I'm no expert on Ben McDermott, even if it is between 130 and 140, you would think that that's a good buy. But why would you want him to be one of only 10 overseas players in your team in the IPL or, or in many of these other leagues? That's the question that gets asked. Uh, and that's why you've seen... And in the in the past... Maybe five years ago, BBL performances counted for a lot more. I mean, that's where you saw the likes of Travis Head and Nick Maddinson and all these guys get picked up in the IPL. And after a point, you realize maybe not. Oh, you don't even have to look that far back, uh, Jared. Last year, if you remember, when Riley Mer Meredith and Jai Richardson, based purely on how they went in the BBL, went for a lot of money. Uh, because by then, I think the IPL guys had stopped looking at 
batting performances. But maybe they thought, look, if we have these really big yeah. fast bowlers coming through, and you know, it's always a phase in T20 cricket, right? It was a fast bowling phase. They maybe felt like it's the right time. Let's target these Australian fast bowlers. And unfortunately, in both their cases, it flopped, right? I mean, they didn't get enough get enough opportunities, or when uh, and they also went to the uh, went to a team, Kings Eleven Punjab, who are always looking for results rapidly. So they didn't get a long run, and that was it for them. I mean, they didn't even feature in the auction this time, or nobody seemed interested in either of them. Eventually, Riley Meredith did get picked up by Mumbai, of course. So uh, it, it again brings us back to the point of. T20 cricket in Australia, how do you read it? Like, you know, how do you contextualize it? Like, what's, do those numbers mean a lot? And which kind of, if anything, uh, makes the World Cup coming up even more exciting? Uh, because I don't know who's who's a favorite and who's not based on uh, that the unknowns that do exist in T20 cricket here. Yeah, it's, it's really weird. I, I've said for a long time that, and I'm completely backed up by people within uh, some of the teams as well, that Australians don't really get T20 cricket. And... There's still this whole thing towards anchors. Like if you look at the Tim David one, I think he's really interesting mm. because really couldn't get a game in in uh, for you know for Scorchers for a long time. Yeah. Wasn't seen as the sort of player that they wanted. I know they had a lot of talent there, and obviously that was the whole Justin Langer period as well, where he was beefing sure. up the team at times. But they didn't really get him, and he made his name outside of it. And then there's another player who I think is really interesting. So you talked about Riley Meredith and, and um, Jai Richardson, but it was Nathan Alice who's probably gone on to be one of the the, yeah. the better ones. And yet he's not that fast. And and, and again, um, you know, picked up some, some wickets overseas. So almost now you need to probably pair it in two different leagues, right? So Inglis, yeah. Inglis might be another one who might get a go because he, he was good in the big bash and was good in, in say, the blast or something else. Yes, but just being yeah. good in one league doesn't seem to do as much for you. But, you know, I think if you talk to, you know, top-level analysts or and people like me, so bottom-level analysts, <laughs> there's no big-name Aussie players, right? So there's more yeah. press releases about uh, David Warner joining a new uh, or signing for his same yeah. team or, or about to move teams than he's actually made runs in the big bash. Um, yeah. The big-name players really don't come that much anymore. And even if they do, there's only one per team at most. Uh, there's hardly any overseas players at all because of the way that the, the league is structured, right? Yeah. Um, and and within the game of T20, it's not particularly that highly rated. So it, I think if you would, and I'm just, I, I'm not saying that this is a definitive list, but I think if you talk to most people in T20 cricket who do do either coaching or franchise work, uh, or, or analyst work or whatever that may be in multiple franchises. They'd probably say the IPL is the best. They'd say the PSL is probably clearly second. CPL mm. just behind it. The 100 is coming up quite fast. So yeah. with that, you would say that at the moment, Big Bash is probably fourth or fifth at best with the South African League about to probably go past it. And that's not including the UAE and the US League that we don't even know how strong they are particularly going to be, right? It's... A very low-level league. It's better than the, whatever happened to Bangladesh, which was good for a little, a little yeah, while. Cool. The Lunken Premier League in New Zealand, those are very low-level leagues. But other than that, it's kind of at the best middle of the road. And part of the reason is just the way it's set up. It's set up to be a really good TV product with repeat... Yes. It's it's almost set up to be the John O'Wells um, TV product, right? Where we, <laughs> we can make stars from John O'Wells and Chris Lynn, but those players won't yeah. necessarily be stars internationally anymore. That's a completely different kind of product than some of these other leagues are. 
Yeah, and, and it's it's a decision you have to make, right? And Alistair Dobson, who's headed the BBL for the last few years, uh, he has been on record in the past talking about how his his role is to focus on uh, making the big bash uh, a viable product or a better product than it was the previous year. Uh, his his job is not to produce future superstars yep. for 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 Australia, and that's kind of ironic uh, when you think of the promos that I grew up on about Australian domestic cricket. Jared, uh, the Sheffield Shield has started now, but back in the day when they started suddenly showing the Sheffield Shield and uh, whatever the One Day Cup was called at that point, Pura or what I, I don't know in the early the late nineties, early two thousand. ING Cup, Mercantile Mutual Cup, yeah. I think so. Yeah, one of those at that point. And I, I'll never forget the promo. It said, uh, Australia, the breeding, domestic cricket in Australia, the breeding mm. ground of future champions. And that's what it was. Like, you know, we all looked at it in awe. And I remember... Imran Khan's a, still uh, copying it in Pakistan, right? Like, he's still copying <laughs> the Sheffield Shield. He is. So you exactly, know how powerful yeah. that, that messaging and that theory has been. Oh, yeah. I mean, about, you know, how you have to wait till you're 34 to make it through, even if you are as good as a Michael Hussey or a Brad Hodge. Uh, and, and, you know, the brutality of the system where you can't just be good, you have to be great for a long time. And that that was the messaging around Australia. And it helped that they were such a mighty team on the field as an international team. They were winning World Cups and winning Test Series all over the, all over the place. Uh, but, yeah, and so you can still use the same messaging. But if you are Alistair Dobson, if you are in charge of the BBL, or if you even if you are Cricket Australia, you're also dealing with... Cricket's become a broadcasting sport anyway, right? It's a TV sport, as you know. Uh, or if not a TV sport, at least the broadcasters have a much bigger say. So you're also, in a way, trying to appease them. And I thought the BBL draft, and I wrote about this as well when it happened, um, was was a, was almost it was bizarre, the way it, it played out. Uh, and and for me, the things that stood out, and you know, it's the odd things that stand out for you and me, Jared. That's why we are who we are, and the relationship we share. Uh, it, it was the fact that the name Andre Russell was taken more often than some of those who did get drafted. Like it, it was, it was. I don't know whether you watched it live. No, uh, it, it was it must have been too early for you in the morning. Um, they the teams were sitting around in in a room, uh, four on each table. Uh, and Mark Howard was just walking around um, asking them some questions. And at uh, every point, they, when Andre Russell wasn't being drafted in the first two rounds, uh, the the experts would say, oh, but Andre Russell's still there. Andre Russell's still there. And then even when they would speak to you know, Ricky Ponting or Jason Gillespie, they would mention the same thing. Oh, we're surprised that Andre Russell's name is still there. So it was, his name got taken more often than like you know some of the uh, the slightly or relatively unknown names that got picked up later but nobody picked him similarly with say a Faf Duplessis or uh, uh, even Pollard or Bravo so it's almost like Cricket Australia convinced these guys or coaxed them to uh, use their names or like you know get their names in the in the pool but then the teams decided well but we are here to uh, win this tournament, like so. Uh, if if you were running the Adelaide Strikers, if you were Jason Gillespie or Ricky Ponting, like what am I to think? Like I should bring someone in who will be who will play three matches for me, but it'll do good for the BBL. I mean, or promote the BBL in front of the broadcasters' eyes, or should I focus on winning uh, cricket matches for my team? It's it, they. I thought they put the franchises or the team uh, managers in in a very precarious position, and obviously they went with what. 
uh, is good for their own business or at mm. least the business of winning, which is what any sporting team should do. Uh, and which adds to the whole idea of the BBL, like you said, not being a top line T20 league product, which you have to face the fact that is what it is. Yeah, it's gone from Chris Gale taking up what 80% of Sydney Thunder's uh, uh, spending in the first tournament to basically being the tournament of Evan Golbus. And if you don't yes. know who Evan Golbus is, he tried very hard and was a, he, he, you know, he could bat Nick a bowl and he could feel, but he wasn't ever going to play for Australia. He wasn't ever going to yes. be a star, but he got a lot of games for Mel Melbourne Stars. I can't remember if he played for anyone else as well, but that's the kind of league that it is. And it's a, it's the whole thing's really interesting. Anyway, mate, I can't wait to read your article in seven or eight months when you finish it, but in time for the next <laughs> big bash. Oh, just, uh, you know, of course. Oh, I, in seven or eight months, there'll be like four more World Cups by then. Um, uh, but after the break, we're going to talk about some of the funniest things that have happened in cricket this week. So I contacted you today because this is our first episode. So we've probably, we've probably done more research on today's episode than we'll ever do throughout the, the whole rest of the thing. But I said to you, oh, this really funny thing happened where the funniest moment in cricket this week was when Sean Tate had a press conference. He's the bowling coach for Pakistan, which is kind of funny in itself because no one, will, I can't imagine any other cricket team outside of Afghanistan or Pakistan would hire Sean Tate as, as their bowling yeah. coach. But you know, just like he bowls really fast. He'll be a great coach. I love, I love the thinking there. <laughs> he goes up to do a press conference. And when you see him, you can see that he's clearly been running up the stairs and he mentions the stairs about four times in the first 10 seconds. <laughs> it's before the press conference starts. And he's sort of looking out at all these faces and he says, oh, you know, we've lost really badly uh, when I'm doing the press conference. Now, this is what's funny about this is the Pakistani media got very upset. Um, I got one of the, you know, the more known uh, people saying to me, you could see how upset Sean Tate was and how offended he was. And I was like, no, that's pretty much what Australians would say in that situation. But also yes. what I found really funny was that they thought this was like a one-off thing. This has been going on, I would uh, yeah. for you and me, I would say maybe the last 10 years we have noticed that assistant coaches basically get um, sent up to talk if the team is losing. Is that it? Would, would, I, would you agree with me? Oh, I think longer. I, from the time I started uh, cricket journalism in 2008, that's been the day. Uh, that's been uh, uh, the job of the fielding coach. Oh, the fielding uh, coach. I love I, the fielding coach. Yeah, exactly, right? I mean, there's still, uh, and no offense to any fielding coach out there, but Trevor Penny, if you're listening. To... <laughs> oh, I love Trevor Penny. And he did do quite a few press conferences while he was India's fielding coach. But the funniest for me was when uh, there was a phase in Indian cricket around 2009-10 when uh, Pragya Noja, who, was, who would be part of the squad and invariably at that point not uh, or often not part of the playing eleven. And when MS Dhoni was captain, for some reason, it was always Pragya Noja who used to be sent to do a press conference uh, on a bad day, even when he wasn't playing. And you would see, and this is they, these are Indian press conference rooms, right? The 50 or 60 journalists back then in one room. And the moment you would see Pragya Noja walk in, there would be like 45 of them would just walk past him, like kind of push him out of the way and just walk out of the room. And uh, there would be occasions where people would say, why have you come? And Pragyan Uja was like, but the team sent me. But we don't want to talk to you. And uh, two questions. And then you know, some, there would be some others like us who would just feel bad for Pragyan Uja. And we would ask him some generic questions which would make no sense. <laughs> you know, how's life? Yeah, I know. the chair uh, Is the chair comfortable, Pragyan? Yeah. So I'm trying to remember the, the one. I'm trying to remember what it was. But I know it was at the Rose Bowl, or what's it called now, the Aegeus Bowl, where Sri Lanka had toured. 
And for some reason, the Sri Lankan press must have been told after a bad day that that they weren't sending anyone special. And so it was just, you know, Crick Info, Crick Buzz and the, and the English journalists in the room. And... <laughs> And they sent out their fielding coach. I think it, it might have been it might have been a bowling coach. Whoever it was, it wasn't a it wasn't a famous former player. Do you know what I mean? No one knew who this person was. There's no Sri Lankans in the room other than this random guy. And the, I can't remember who it was, but it was one of the English press. Where it might have been Ali, Ali Martin actually just said, "Sorry, just um, before we start, who are you?" And it was just showed how ridiculous the whole situation was. But it, I, so I found that very funny that the Pakistanis thought that that was. Um, uh, that 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 was a novel thing or whatever. I was like, no. The novel thing was that for some reason the PCB put up the footage of him saying it at the start rather than that editing it out true. when they put it online. Because <laughs> usually you would edit out the bits before the questions. Anyway, um, so I told you about this, and you're like, that is funny. And then straight away you then mentioned uh, your good friend Mitchell Johnson was playing in the Legends League and had a physical fight with Yusuf Patan, which look. We don't, com you know, this is our first episode. We've got to, we've got to set the, um, we got, we got to set the uh, scene. We don't condone physical violence unless in your case, no. you like it when people are wearing spangly underwear, but you know, True. generally exactly. we yeah. don't condone physical violence, but it is hilarious that these two, Yusuf Patan and then Irfan Patan and Mitchell Johnson got so upset that there was a physical alteration in an old man cricket league. Yeah, I mean, the Legends Cricket League is all about smiles and hits and giggles and everybody gets along with everyone else and they talk about the good old times. So, and, and the thing is, I did not even know that it was live on TV in Australia. I was just switching channels. I was like, hey, Legends Cricket League, let's see what Mitch is up to. Uh, so I switch it on and as it turns out, uh, it was a 15th over of the innings for the Bilwara Giants, I think they call. Sounds like you made that up, but continue. Yeah, I'm sure I did. So Yusuf Patan was already smashing it. Obviously, the boundaries, I mean, you could see that the ropes had been brought in quite a bit in Jodhpur, uh, which hasn't seen cricket in a long time, international cricket, I would assume. Uh, and then Mitch uh, takes the ball, uh, at the at third over of his spell, I think. Uh, and he runs in a couple of balls. Uh, he, I think a wide Yorker hit for six. There are a couple of boundaries. And the last ball, he bowls a bouncer. And Yusuf Patan is imploring that the umpire signals wide. Uh, and then you can see Yusuf Patan just walking down the pitch. And I just thought he's... And I just really thought it was all just uh, in jest. Yusuf Patan asking the umpire to signal a wide and finding out what's happening. I did not know that the other at the other end of uh, the pitch, it was Mitchell Johnson that he was having a go at. And before you knew it, like they were at each other's throats and Mitch Johnson just pushes him away. Um, and then he's dragged away. Of course, Yusuf Patan gets out uh, in the next over. And in walks Irfan. And you could see that Irfan was really fired up even before he ran out. And Irfan runs out and he's, he's right into Mitch Johnson. And they get into uh, quite a serious uh, argument. And there was no physical contact between those two. And again, they have to be separated. All of this in a Legends Cricket League, and which has been going on for the last two and a half weeks or so. You would have thought by now everybody would be friends and pally and... Uh, yeah, I never expected to see that. And I read somewhere, I don't know whether it's true or not, that uh, the tournament organizers were looking at uh, seeing if uh, Mitch should be suspended for the final because his team, the India Capitals, have qualified for the final, which is all bizarre when it happened in, in, in a Legends League context. But also just like, it's the best thing that's ever happened in the Legends League. and That is also very true. So, if I mean, 
maybe they have to suspend him because there was a physical alteration. But there's a part of me that thinks that they should actually have encouraged their players to do this sort of stuff, you know, even fake it. So those are the first two um, things that happened uh, that were pretty funny. The third one is kind of funny and kind of sad and kind of weird. Just before we started recording, uh, I'll read the ESPN headline. Shimron Hetmeyer dropped from West Indies World Cup squad over missed flight. Uh, As Shamar Brooks has been called up into the squad, that's not a like-for-like, is it? That's the least Mm. like-for-like replacement I could think of for Shimron Hetmeyer. The story gets a lot weirder, though, when you start to uh, uh, read down that essentially Shimron Hetmeyer was given two flights. The first one he couldn't uh, go on, he said, for, I'm trying to think if it was family reasons, I think was, was the reason he gave. They then booked him for a third flight, uh, sorry, a second flight on the 3rd of October. So he hasn't technically, I don't think he technically missed that at that stage, but he basically said he wasn't going to go to it. Um, and so the selection committee decided not to take him. Now, we don't know anything about this other than it's just happened, but who on earth thought this was going to be a story today that one of the best players from the West Indies was not going to be traveling over a missed flight. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't Fabian Allen miss like a CPL over a missed flight? Like, hasn't there been, I've got a feeling there's been a couple of West Indian players over the last couple of years who've done that. But it, it did remind me of one of my favorite stories, which was when Bryce McGain finally got picked for Australia. He was supposed to play against India, do you remember? And he, he injured his shoulder and couldn't play. Took him forever to recover from that shoulder injury. He probably hadn't recovered from it. They picked him for the flight. He's 104 years old, Bryce McGain, at this point. He's been waiting <laughs> to play for Australia his whole life, and then he misses the flight out to South Africa. Um, bit different with Shimron Hetmeyer. We'll obviously get more details yeah. than that, but uh, we weren't. I don't think anyone must had any money on Shimron Hetwine not playing the World Cup because he had a fight with Cricket West Indies over which flight he should go on. Uh, that's a bit of a random one. Yeah, it almost reminds me of uh, of uh, the late Runako Martin. And uh, remember, he was supposed to play in the 2007 World Cup and he said his grandma was sick and then it turned out his there was no grandma and he just made it all up because he didn't want to play for some bizarre reason. Uh, and, and you know there has we've seen this with West Indies cricket on and off, right? Players just uh, uh, kind of coming up with reason. There was uh, the funniest is uh, it's slightly different to what has happened with Shimron Hetmeyer, but West Indies A was touring India in 2014, I would like to believe 2013, and one of their players uh, who still does occasionally play for West Indies uh, got injured during during the first week of that tour. Uh, and nobody in Cricket West Indies was aware of that. Uh, so I wanted to interview said player. Uh, and three, four days into the tour, I found out that he was injured. And this is this information came from Bangalore, where they were based. So I called up some people I knew in Cricket West Indies. And I said, do you know that so-and-so player is injured? They were like, oh, really? Oh, we had no idea. And they had to then quickly find a replacement. And they then they sent the replacement. But this this is the best part of the story. So the set it was a month long tour. So the set player who had been injured, uh, he'd been given allowances like you know as a bulk for the entire month. So they told the player that okay, you just like leave whatever is uh, or you have to like pass on or whatever money you have uh, for the rest of the month for the replacement player. And he says, oh, I've spent it all off, <laughs> and so he was injured not playing, but he had a lot of money. 
So, you know, he just spent it all off doing whatever you do in Bangalore to have a good time. Be a cafes. Uh, of course. Yeah, yeah. He went to Koshi's and had two way too many coffees, yeah. I guess. And, and, and eventually, Cricket West Indies had to kind of get the Karnataka State Cricket Association to just help them out in the in the immediate uh, in that point so that the replacement player like you know has his allowance sorted and so that they could then work it work it out with their uh, the other players it was just really funny <laughs> like the way it played out so interesting things to happen with West Indies cricket and Shimron Hetmeyer is one of those right he's had weight issues fitness issues uh, he's such a fun player to watch when he gets going. And I- Before this World Cup, we weren't sure if he was going to be made available or if he was going to yeah. get picked because of fitness. I assume there's something else going on with those two things. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, the story doesn't quite make sense. When, I, know, I know Crick Info have just put it up <laughs> and it's just happened, so no one will know all the details. But you read it and you're just like, I don't, I don't know if, if this is right. But um, either way... Uh, you know, it's a huge boom for, you know, I mean, in some ways, Shamar Brooks is the John O'Wells of West Indies. So great that he's coming out to Australia for the World Cup. Barat, thank you for coming on. And I'll see you again next week on, uh, what's this show called? I, I named it. I've already forgotten. Uncovered on 99.94. Thank you so much. And I hope you don't forget who your co-host is next week. Uh, but yeah, I look forward to it. Is it you? Hopefully it is me. 